0: Welcome to Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borovitch. In the last episode, I had the pleasure of getting to know Chris Wazden, head of Happify DTX. That episode, unfortunately, concluded our segment with the trailblazers of US-based digital therapeutics companies. There's so many more amazing entrepreneurs that I would have loved to have on the show, but given this is a limited series, we needed to move on. Maybe more to come, let's see. We now kick off the next segment by hopping over to Europe, and specifically Germany. On December 19th, 2019, Germany passed into law the Digital Healthcare Act, Digitale Versorgung Gazetz, or the DVG. I really did try not to butcher the pronunciation. With this law passing, any approved DIGA, another term I will not try to pronounce, will become fully reimbursable by the German statutory health insurers as long as they're prescribed by a physician or psychotherapist. For this topic, I could not think of anyone better than a dear friend, Christian Dirks. Christian is a managing partner at Dirks & Company and was absolutely instrumental in getting the DVG off the ground. I will let him pronounce all the terms in German correctly. Since we recorded this episode in January, many things transpired, such as more approved digital therapies on the list, now 13, and some early sprinkles of multiple sources on the prescription data. But before we begin, I met Christian over a decade ago when I first began traveling to Europe for a large pharmacy benefit manager. Christian is a deep thinker, lover of art and food, but most importantly, his calm and soothing nature impressed me from the first time I met him. And now we jump to my conversation with Christian. I'm here with Christian Dirks, co-founder and managing partner at Dirks and Company. Christian, welcome to this podcast. I know we've known each other for quite a while, but many of our listeners do not know you. So why don't you tell us a little bit of your background and how you came into kind of digital health and more specifically digital therapeutics?
1: Thank you, Eugene. I gladly do. Basically, I started off in this life as a physician. And after a while, I had to join the Navy due to the draft in Germany. And I spent some time on a vessel and spent some time diving. And I got in touch with the administration of the Navy. And I found that if you manage rules and administration, you can change a lot of things. And I adapted that to the healthcare system. And I said, well, if you can actually work along the regulatory issues of this healthcare system, you can produce a lot of benefit and can change a lot of things, far more than I could in my own physician's practice just with one single patient. So I thought about it. I studied law in addition, became a lawyer, and founded my own very first law firm, which grew and grew and grew until in 2017. We had about 80 people and this more than 50 lawyers working in a healthcare environment. But still, there was something missing. And the thing missing is that I always sense that there is a connection between information technology and healthcare that needs to be liaised by means of the regulatory framework. And that, according to my opinion, was moving far too slow. And the reason for that was an incident that happened in New Delhi. When I was visiting Delhi for the first time, we actually had a visit to the Ascot Heart Center in the far east of New Delhi. And the chief surgeon introduced to us a telemonitoring system for his heart patients. So we went out into the suburbs, visited a patient in his shed, and he had this device to monitor his heart condition together with the Escot Heart Center. Now the bad news is this was in 1994.
0: I was gonna ask, yeah. Yeah,
1: 1994, and that is incredible. Well, It immediately got me hooked onto digital health At a time when there was no such thing like digital health or e-health, little did we know about this. The internet wasn't really working to an extent as we are used to it now. There was no apps, there was no iPhone, none of that. So I started working on that, of course, in those days, mainly on data protection issues and data banking and realizing that an important source would be creating the data around the patient. And this took me a while also to get in the position to be advisor to the ministry and to many other associations so actually i also acquired a position at the charite university here in berlin where i became a professor for health services research and in that position i always try to contribute a little to the progress in this area
0: Look at that. I, I learned something new about you today as well. So that's good. Aside from your... Yeah, well, you never asked before. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, you took us back to 1994 and your love for what was probably not called digital health then. Maybe fast forward a little bit. You know, you and I met probably close to a decade ago, if not longer. And... There was some bubbling of digital health in Germany. And maybe take us back on that, you know, history train. What was the beginnings of conceptualization or what was the trigger for the, you will correct me in the German pronunciation of it, the Digo, the devehe, if I'm pronouncing correctly. Diga. We, we say Diga. Diga. Okay. But
1: incidentally, there's, there's a nice story behind that. Uh, DIGA stands for Digitale Gesundheitsanwendung, which means digital healthcare application. Now, in the first draft of that process, which we'll get to in a while, I suppose, the first wording that was used by the healthcare insurances in Germany was Digitale Versorgungsanwendung, which means just care application. And the acronym would have been DIVA. <laughs> now. When I entered that stage, I said, by no way should we have a diva, because a diva is something whimsy. It does not translate and,
0: well, right?
1: <laughs> and it doesn't go where we want it to be. So I said, let's change this term to something else. And so we drooled over that for a while. And so we came up with DIGA, and fortunately, on the first prize later on. So this is where this word came And what about.
0: year was that? Just to give the listeners a perspective, because obviously it's in the news and hot now.
1: That was 2018. Well, the whole thing started when in 1997, the a specialist from the insurance funds by the name of Geis wrote an article about the tremendous cost that the handling of paper prescriptions brings about to the system. And the idea was to get it off the paper into a digital environment and communicate from a smart card via the internet over to the pharmacy. And it took us five more years to get really into the idea of producing something like an electronic prescription as the basic platform that would like a lever, pry open the space for more digital applications. And the ministry actually challenged me to write an opinion with a fit gap analysis for the legal framework for electronic prescription in 2003. So this is what put me into the position to become more knowledgeable about this. And we produced such a draft in 2004, which was adapted by a parliament. And the idea was to have a chip card and a reading device, a connector. And so that was the technology from the late 90s, of course. We believed it would be the right thing to do. What we did not take into account was that there was three opponents to the whole system. And oddly enough, that was the three major stakeholders. Now, the physicians, they were taken by the fear that they would become very transparent about their prescription behavior and what they would be prescribing on certain indications and whether this might be wrong or not. The insurance funds were worried about how to finance the whole setup. And the pharmacists, of course, were extremely worried that electronic prescriptions would travel anywhere but not into their own pharmacy. So uh, for like more than 12 years, there was a stalemate. Nobody was moving. And as the German system is not controlled by the government, the government just suggests the laws that are passed by parliament. And the whole setup is to give a framework for the self-governance of contracting companies and insurances. It didn't move for quite a while. And Up came a new player onto the stage that is our current Minister of Health, Jens Spahn. He's a very agile person, and he's also very energetic. And he was really looking at the issue and said, well, we've been trying to introduce this electronic prescription, and actually, it's not really state of the art anymore But we will not kill it because there's so many people involved in this that we just rather transform it into a platform of digital
0: health. Too big to fail.
1: (laughs) Well, we spent a billion euro on this just to develop it. And so that's a lot of money. So it shouldn't fail, but it should be transformed into something else. And in those days, of course, we had, that was 2017. We had some digital applications that already made it onto the register of medical aids. Now, medical aids is something like a wheelchair or hearing aid. And the difficulty was that these software products aren't really something that you could get from a pharmacy and take home. So it didn't really fit into that description of a medical aid. And it was something where we realized by and by that it could be very useful in the healthcare environment of surveilling patients, supporting patients, building a link between physician and patient in situations where there usually is no link and so forth. And there was a publication on a questionnaire throughout the EU that pointed out that Germany was second or third last in digitalization in healthcare throughout the EU which is dreadful for the proud German people who are very (laughs) (laughs) technology-hyped, take great pride in their technology. And so that really got them going and said, we need expertise. Somebody has to write an expertise in how we can integrate the digital applications into the healthcare environment of the statutory health insurance. And this expertise was outsourced to the University of Bielefeld. Now, Bielefeld is a small city, but it has a very good faculty on health economics with my colleague Wolfgang Greiner. And Wolfgang Greiner knocked on our door and said, would you help us and write the legal framework for our expertise on how apps can be integrated into the statutory health insurance? And there we were. And at the end of the story, we found ourselves in February 19, when we published our expertise took us a while to to get this going because we had
0: to do a lot of interviews and focus groups and to align all players along the field still quicker than the berlin airport so but you know for those listeners that's a different podcast altogether
1: which airport are you talking <laughs> no, about no the new berlin airport
0: <laughs> right <laughs>
1: yeah of course we've been a little quicker right you are and um we promulgated the idea of integrating that and that set forth a lot of energy And then the law on the digital healthcare applications was drafted. And honestly, there's never been a law where any ministry has gone so much into detail to make it possible that actually the applications make their way onto the road. Because after the law has been passed, the ministry also passed a bylaw for further details to make it easy for the applicants. And the federal institution that is in charge of creating the list, the BfArM, Farm, which the Federal Institute of Pharmaceuticals and Medical Devices also published a guideline to make it easy for the applicants. And so there's a lot of assistance in reading, and it's available in English too, because we're well aware that there's companies from all over the world that would be interested to get onto this German market with 80 million inhabitants.
0: You mentioned that first version when you got involved somewhere, even with a name change from Diva to Diga, how close is this? And I guess on one side, it's never final. I'm hoping that there's going to be some revisions as the ministry and as the environment learns. But how close was that original version to what's out there now and any sort of major pivots or changes along the way, any, you know, I guess, key... I don't want to say negotiation points, but discussion points that made some of those changes come true as it was published in 2019.
1: Yeah, yeah, I understand. Of course, usually if you come up with an expertise and a suggestion for the lawmaker, you will find that the committees will take it apart and put it together to something else. And in the end, you will not recognize your very early and on suggestion anymore. That's what happened, by the way, in 2003 to our electronic prescription suggestion, And as I think Churchill once said, a camel is a racehorse that has been designed by a committee. (laughs) But this has not happened. Quite the opposite. What we did is we came up with five different suggestions. We said it would make sense to have a different body take care of the assessment and the listing than the joint commission that is taking care of everything else in the healthcare system. We said it would make sense to have a preliminary listing and have it exit if it doesn't prove its concept. We said it would make sense to add other criteria than just randomized controlled trials, especially for applications that are used by a patient. And we said it should be a fast-track procedure. So in the end, all these suggestions were in the room. And guess what? The ministry said, we'll take them all. Amazing. It was beyond what we suggested, actually, and it took us by surprise that the Agile ministry really picked it up and turned it into reality. And so far, there hasn't been any peddling back. So we're really currently executing what has been suggested and what passed through parliament. And right now, we're in a phase of little adaptations. We're looking for different options to amend to this to be more in the detailed region. And we can allude to that a little later.
0: No, absolutely. And I, you know, part of it is Brian Dolan, who is my journalistic partner. So he's keeping track. Of course, the DIGA directory itself is as well. And it's amazing to see that there are now 10 companies or 10 products that are listed in, I would say, still a pretty relatively short time. So I think, you know, kudos for getting that built out the infrastructure quicker than the Berlin airport. <laughs> but, you know, as you mentioned, sort of Germany is, quote unquote, open to, business right from a digital therapeutics digital health perspective to the world there's a process there's help it's in english but it's also important i think to understand and that's what diga is not right because you know the easy flow is the easy one right but what it's not is even more interesting i think
1: what is not a diga First of all, I think the most important issue to realize that if it's not a medical device, it cannot be a DIGA. So it needs to be a registered and certified medical device according to risk class 1 or 2A, according to the medical device regulation of the EU. We've seen some pretty good apps in with our clients, and we looked at it and say, well, it's a cool app, but all it does is documentation or communication. Or it's just wrapping things up and making things easier or putting some efficiency or rationale into it, but it's not supporting the diagnose or treatment of a disease. And if it's not, then it can't be a DIGA. And this is creating a very interesting effect because certifying a medical device is a cumbersome exercise and it requires money and it requires ongoing efforts to monitor the product. So far, everybody has tried to avoid being a medical device with certain tools. Now people are trying to do the opposite. And if it's not a medical device, change the purpose of the tool to be more like a device, like a medical device. And this is the main focus. And one other message I would have for those who are planning to introduce a diga onto the German market, if you go for that goal, you really need to go for it wholeheartedly, because this is just not like, oh, I'm a medical device, and then I could enter the German market and become a DIGA, and we'll take this along the way. It's not as easy. Uh, It takes a lot of time and energy. You need to devise the clinical studies and the proof of concept and create the evidence. It's something that requires the whole team to strive towards that goal. And The interesting thing is, from our clients, what we've heard, and we have been counseling some of the companies that are on the list right now, and once you are on the list, there's a complete shift of attention. It's away from getting listed into distribution and marketing. And uh, that's a complete shift of mind. And it's it's extremely interesting because it requires different skills and different targets and different plans.
0: I'm sure we'll we'll continue diving deeper into that because to me, you know, when we talk about digital therapeutics slash that's part of what's in DIGA and approved. How do we get to market is, you know, obviously is a big component of that. But let's actually touch because, you know, you and I met under this, you know, pharmacy benefit management slash disease management model. And there's plenty of companies on the market in Germany and beyond in disease management, which is combining, you know, services, devices now, et cetera versus looking at what's been approved in DIGA or the digital therapeutic as a standalone. I'm curious on your thoughts and what you've seen, you know, are the two melding? How's DIGA looking at disease management 2.0, if at all? And, you know, I'll leave it to you to sort of dissect it a little bit.
1: Disease management is something that was introduced in Germany 20 years ago. And the headline was programs to manage chronic diseases. And still, it's about one patient and one chronic disease. And this is something that we, in my opinion, definitely need to change. Because if you look out on the street, you will find that out of 100 people on the street, 19 will have one disease. But 23 will have two or more diseases. And most of the digital applications are not fit, not equipped, and not targeted to a multi-disease situation. And my conviction is that such an application is far better equipped to deal with such a condition of several diseases at the same time than a physician would be without special training because there are so many interactions and there are so many therapeutic remedies that interact or contradict each other or have side effects that it needs a proper balance. And that's where we need a lot of data, a lot of database and research on probably implementation of AI to get along with this. And this is where I see the upcoming playing field to integrate apps for people with diabetes and kidney disease, with high blood pressure and pancreatic cancer and the like. This is where we still have deficiencies that need to be completed with technology. And this is a new role, and this is why it's not only disease management 2.0, it's also digital healthcare applications 2.0.
0: Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my journalistic partner on this podcast, Brian Dolan, who is the founder of Exits and Outcomes, and as I like to call him, the digital health detective. Let's see what question Brian has for our guest today. Okay. Here's my question. What does the marketing push for DIGA's
1: prescribable digital health products look like? In other words, how do prescribers know about them? Is it up to the individual digital health companies to drive that awareness, or does the government help? Well, thank you, Brian. That's an interesting question. So far, the main promotion has been from the ministry. When we started the whole process, there was several meetups in the ministry with some of the upcoming healthcare application providers. And these meetups have been broadcasted and there was a lot of publicity to it. And it was never about pushing a single healthcare application provider. It was always about the general approach overall. Now, in those days, when I spoke with the physicians or the representatives of physicians associations, they were rather skeptical and said, why should I prescribe an app? And the reason for this is They were afraid that there would be a back end to something that they could not cope with, that they need to spend time on something they would not get remuneration for, that they would take on liability for cases they cannot control, or that they would be liable for the finances involved for taking on the cost of the applications. Now, over the past two years, this has changed. We've seen recent polls that say that the appreciation of digital healthcare applications has grown tremendously from like 29, 30% to 70 right now. And that means the old truth that you never get anything innovative into the healthcare system if you're not joining forces with the physicians who are the prime advisors to any patient is coming true once again. Now we have a situation in which by and by and slowly and surely, the physicians are trying out prescribing this. And it's, it's a phase in which, of course, the digital healthcare application providers address the physicians. They try to convince them about prescription, about using it. And it will be up to the physicians to try out and find out what the benefits are for them, what's in it for them. And I'm not speaking about money. I'm speaking about better care, about more efficiency, about creating spare time for other patients that need personal attention. And the like. This is where we need to work on the whole society, needs to work on that there will be more acceptance and give these applications also a chance.
0: Yeah, and let me chime in a little bit here. You touched on the word consumer. And you know, while at least stereotypically, US, the consumer healthcare is alive. And when we talk about EU, you know, for some reason, and specifically Germany. People always assume that people don't want to pay out of pocket, right? So I'm curious when it comes to these 10 applications that have been approved, where is the consumer in this picture in Germany specifically and health consumer specifically, obviously.
1: Let us focus on that because this is one of really the most important topics at all. If we look at data collection in the life of a person, it actually starts before birth, with the first pictures taken from the fetus then it goes on with the first laboratory findings on the newborn with all the investigations and assessments before they go to school then they change the position change insurance funds become a family maybe change plans and in germany it's of course not changing with the employer but it's changing with other reasons way until death and the only constant along this whole way The only thing that remains the same throughout the life of this person is the person itself. I love that. And this is why I say that the prime responsibility for data in your life is with the patient. And the terminology, of course, is that the patient is the citizen, is the consumer, and vice versa. And that brings up a responsibility, which is a huge chance this responsibility is not like a duty that is imposed onto the citizen because nobody else wants to do it. No, it's imposed onto him because he can do it best. And he's also the one who has the most benefit from doing it properly. And in order to do that, you need empowerment, you need education. And this is why I devised a regulation for the statutory health insurance that they need to pay for courses to get educated on your skills about data management. And of course, myself being a liberal thinker, you also need the right to deny this responsibility. You need the possibility to evade from this. And of course, hand in hand with that goes the right to delegate it. And to say, I don't want, I need this, but I don't want to do it myself. So I see that there will be new professions coming up, like the personal health data manager that will offer a service. I take your data, I will manage it. I will take care that it is where it needs to be at the time of treatment, at the point of care. And I will supply the service for $49.99 per month for you. And this will be something very natural in a couple of years, like a tax advisor is natural today. And it was not 150 years ago.
0: You know, it's interesting. And as we talk specifically around digital therapeutics, you know, there's so much data being generated. I mean, if you look at any of these companies like Akili, even Gaia in Germany and and many others, there's tremendous amount of data. So I think to the entrepreneurs that are listening out there, you know, I think Christian just gave a freebie of an idea, right? Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Have you heard or seen any statistics as B-Farm planning to publish some statistics on usage? You know, while we keep talking about transparency of pricing in the US market, obviously in the EU, it's very different. So any statistics on usage, anything that you can comment on there?
1: I haven't seen any yet. We're waiting for the first data to be published by the insurance funds of what the cost is they had to reimburse so far but we have looked into our clients' records and they have done some research in the field of the prescribers. When we spoke with our clients, they found out that out of 10 physicians that have the notion to prescribe an app, until this is really in the hand and use of the patient, there will be nine that will get lost on the way. So there's a diffusion rate due to several shortcomings in the system due to bureaucracy, technology, and it's not really set up and running as yet. It will get faster, of course, but this is all on the side of the funds and they're working on it to get it done. But of course, they're not over-exaggerating. They're not acting in haste, to put it mildly, but that will get better. And currently, we're still in a situation where there is no corridor, where there is no limits to the pricing as just, as it said, it needs to be reimbursed. And we're still waiting for that framework agreement that will have some barriers and some benchmarks as to what it may cost and what it may not cost before after the first year, the negotiated price will get into action. So we're still waiting for the data and we're very curious. And I think the good thing is that the market is not flooded with apps. But it's making some progress and at a speed where we can still assess and adjust if necessary.
0: And do you know when it's expected to get the data? I remember from the sick funds, you know, it takes time to gather a lot of this, you know, just out in the wild.
1: I would expect that it'd still be in the first quarter of this year.
0: Okay, perfect. You know, lots of work was done in, you know, two years-ish. Ten companies are now being reimbursed, the 10 products. What's next for DIGA specifically? Yeah, we've got something coming up, Eugene. How did you know? I actually
1: didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've been, especially my company, and we've been working in ambient assisted living for a while now. So we actually wrote an expertise on behalf of a consumer association in Germany called the Verbraucherzentrale, And with this expertise, we suggested to also integrate certain digital tools into the settings of care in fostering homes and in housing for elderly people. Now, this is something that really comes about our society, that people get older, they live by themselves because we no longer have these huge family settings. And... They have to take care of themselves, and they get 70, 80, 90 years old, and things are getting difficult. And they want to live in their own flat or house, and they apparently they have some difficulty to do so. But there are some other people that have the same goal. That is the landlord, of course, who needs uh, somebody to pay the rent. That is the family that would appreciate if grandma is still in their own flat. And of course, it's the pension funds and the statutory healthcare insurance that appreciate that as well. Now, the common goal is to make it possible. And there's a lot of software that can aid and also hardware, of course, to this goal. And consequently, we have suggested to adapt this. And there is now a draft bill coming up to integrate digital care applications, which is not healthcare application, but it's care for people who need attention from caregivers. And there's several services and products can be bridged with digital applications for that matter. And this is what will be set up in a couple of weeks and months. And this is the next level for this. And there is a difficulty in that. The difficulty is that these products are no longer, or at least not necessarily, medical devices that have been certified by a notified body. So the quality assessment and the purpose have not been assessed by another procedure in the system. And this is something that needs to be amended, where the producer needs to give his own proof of quality and efficiency and other criteria that still need to be supplied. So it's a bit of a different story, but it will be very beneficial to keep people living independently and uh, self in their self-sustained environment. That of course also has an acronym to it. It's called
0: DePA. Okay, at least it's not DIVA again. <laughs>
1: the digitale Pflegeanwendung for, for care application. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Listen, we started with your story where I learned more about you. And you know, for our listeners, this is a very difficult space and pushing something new. So what is your why? What gets you up every morning? I'm convinced that we have
1: not yet really unlocked the E in e-health. And after consulting in the healthcare environment for almost 30 years now, I have a situation in which I have a lot of experience. I know a lot of people. We have good connections and we are driven by the idea to align all of this for one common goal to create best benefit for the patients to allocate the resources in a most efficient way and to relieve burdens and pain that are still out there on a huge scale. And so far, every time we achieve this goal a little further is a very grateful moment. And I'm extremely grateful for a history that has put us in a position to really contribute to this after actually getting back to 1994 and my experience in New Delhi, I couldn't hope for more than what has been realized now.
0: Amazing. Christian, thank you for joining us here. And, you know, all eyes have been on DIGA in the last, I would say, year-ish. So we're looking forward to DIPA and uh, a lot more news and some transparency out there. So thank you again for joining us.
1: It's a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Eugene. Thanks so much for tuning into Digital Therapeutics edition of Digital Health Today, a production of Mission-Based Media. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're then automatically notified when we post our upcoming episodes where I speak with dozens of leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about your coach health or Brian Dolan's exit and outcomes, you can always find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. You can connect with me personally on Twitter at Health Eugene, or follow my journey of writing my first book, Heart Pill to Swallow, at heartpilltoswallow.substack.com. I'm Eugene Borovic, and catch you next time.